When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Convergence of punk with reggae and ska in the late 70s and early 80s resulted in some significant musical developments, leading some punk and post-punk bands in England to experiment with the sound of reggae and dub in particular. Reggae was natural for punks to mine as inspirational fuel, just as earlier rock and roll eras adopted ideas and energy from blues and R&B. And chances are, quite a few English punks had more than a few scratchy Trojan 45s in their record collections and a love of reggae in their blood. Hi, I'm Mark Wasserman. Welcome to Punky Reggae Party, a special audio documentary series of the Skaboom podcast on the Pantheon Podcast Network. This series focuses on the historical origins and impact of reggae on popular music, and we'll explore the phenomena of punk and post-punk bands adopting the sounds of reggae. So it was only a matter of time before I got around to talking about the police. If you are of a certain age, I'm looking at all my fellow Gen Xers out there, in the band's early records, Outlandos d'Amour and Regatta de Blanc were likely the soundtrack of your middle school and high school years, and most definitely were for me. The Police were the very first band I saw live on their Ghost in the Machine tour stop at Madison Square Garden in January of 1982. The Go-Go's opened the show, and one of my friends who had smuggled a bottle of blackberry brandy into the show drank too much of it and vomited all over our jackets, and it was very cold outside. Despite that, the show was fantastic and I'm grateful I saw the police at the height of their powers. In contrast to the spiky experimental sounds recorded by the Slits, who were produced by Dennis Pavel, and the heavy dub of The Clash, produced by Mikey Dredd, the police took inspiration from Bob Marley, whose accessible reggae mixed with rock influences had established itself widely by the late 70s. It was this Marley influence that the police synthesized into their sound. So Lonely was reportedly inspired by Marley's No Woman, No Cry. And it was this sound that set them apart from many of their contemporaries. The band melded Andy Summers' rock guitar to Sting and Stuart Copeland's reggae rock rhythm section 
to create some of the most accessible and catchy reggae-influenced music of the late 70s and early 80s. According to Sting, reggae became part of the band's DNA during the recording of the Regatta de Blanc album in 1979. That was where it all clicked. There was so much happening in my writing and singing, and Stuart and Andy's playing, and suddenly it all meshed together. We had reggae influences in our vocabulary, and they became synthesized into our infrastructure until it was utterly part of our sound, and you couldn't really call it reggae anymore. It was just the way we played. That's the great thing about rock and roll. It bastardizes everything, and I much prefer mongrels over pure races. As a musician, you learn your craft and emulate and copy people, and suddenly there's a moment in your development when you grow up and finally become yourself. I think Regatta was that moment for us. Then we got caught up in the whole business of becoming a successful rock group and almost lost it. We calmed down after that, but we had to work hard to get back into that serendipitous state again. While the police's reggae-influenced tracks received significant FM radio play, and they were a gateway to reggae for suburban kids like me, the band also received their fair share of criticism from music writers who called them out for cultural appropriation of the sound. In his 1979 review of the police's debut album, Outlandos de Amor, Rolling Stone's Tom Carson referred to the band's music as truly offensive in the minstrel show Natty Dread accent that Sting puts on for the reggae numbers. Sting simply co-ops the style without acknowledging that such questions exist. The police's reggae is an infuriating and condescending parlor trick, a kind of slumming that isn't even heartfelt. Ouch. In response to the criticism of Outlander Stamor, the band called their follow-up Regatta de Blanc, a faux French translation of the phrase white reggae. Touché. More recently, Sting responded to the criticism the band received about their embrace of reggae during an interview on the Breakfast Club radio show in 2018. No, you know, I, I think for me it was homage to, to something that I love. I love reggae music. I was brought up in England in the 50s and 60s, and we had a very influential West Indian community. Mm-hmm. So I grew up with Calypso and then ska music, Blue Beat. And then when Bob Marley came to England, it was totally revolutionary for me because of he turned rock music on its head, you know, the, the importance of the bass, and as a bass player, that was hugely influential to me. The way the drums are played is completely different. And then Marley's philosophy, his, his uh, spiritual message, his, his political message was very very powerful. And so for me, it, it was, wasn't cultural appropriation, it was homage to something that I, I, I love and I still love. Though bands like The Police and The Clash took much of their inspiration from Jamaican music and culture, to be fair, it was a two-way street of respect and influence, as Jamaican artists of the late 70s were inspired by the energy of punk and ska and its counterculture anti-establishment stance. As I've previously noted, you don't need to look any further than Bob Marley and his reggae anthem, Punky Reggae Party, to see the link between UK ska and punk bands and Jamaican reggae artists. Marley name-checks leading UK punk bands, and picks up Johnny Rotten's rant against corporate rock and roll. 
And so when the police's reggae pop music catapulted them up the charts, Jamaican artists took notice. As quick background, The Bed's Too Big Without You, written by Sting, was inspired by an incident in which his first girlfriend, heartbroken about the end of their relationship, committed suicide. The song, which was the first single released from Regatta de Blanc, received good reviews with many calling it an innovative merger of reggae and new wave. Give the rare mono version of the song, which plays up more dub influences than the single version does, a listen. Jamaican native Shaggy, who collaborated with Sting on the song Don't Make Me Wait in 2018, was one of those inspired by the police and their reggae sound. When he, he used to tour, the police used to tour with uh, Steel Pulse, um, Aswad, Burning Spear, you know, Burning Spear mm-hmm. some of these early reggae bands that, that you know, um, that were coming out. They gave us respect. They, you know, they, right. they knew we were serious. Right. And, they, and so, he, he, you know, 
they you could hear the influences from those guys in the police music. And what happened in Jamaica is like they would play the police music because they were like the gateway. Mm-hmm. Because when you go to the mainstream and they hear these guys doing it, you know, because, you know, the gatekeepers would be like, well, that's not our format mm-hmm. or this doesn't fit our format. But then these guys are doing the same thing. So that's now a way. So they, they were actually a gateway for us to actually open the door. For open the door. Right. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, and and there is, they've always paid homage to the whole thing. You know what I mean? So I, I and I think that's why, you know, people didn't view them as that. You know, they, you know, they, they were they're respected. To that end. Let's explore Sheila Hilton's exquisite cover of The Bed's Too Big Without You from Regatta de Blanc. Hilton was juggling careers as a flight attendant and reggae singer in 1980 when she stepped into a London record store and bought a copy of Regatta de Blanc, which included the song The Bed's Too Big Without You. Hilton shared how she discovered the song and her inspiration in cutting her own version in an interview with Sounds in 1981. I was listening to a police album, I'm not sure which one, and I heard this song that made me want to listen two or three times. It was a good song, but I knew I could do it better, that I could do it properly. I wanted to bring the bass out and to make it really heavy. And though the sound was there, it wasn't heavy enough. Hilton was British-born, but moved to Jamaica as a young girl. She initially worked as a secretary for Total Sounds Records. Although the job served to further inspire her musical aspirations, she decided instead to train as a flight attendant with Air Jamaica. However, she did not abandon her hopes of making a career in music, and through her association with Total Sounds, she was introduced to respected reggae producer Henry Liquidator J. In the early 70s, Henry J. had issued a hugely successful version of the Dusty Springfield Baby Washington hit Breakfast in Bed by Lorna Bennett, and with Sheila's voice the perfect vehicle for a reworking of the song, Harry J. had her recut the song in the lover's rock style, then very popular in the UK. Give it a listen. Hilton's version managed to surpass Bennett's version when it entered the British pop charts in 1979, later inspiring UB40 and Chrissy Hine to record it nine years on, scoring a top 10 UK hit in 1988. But back in 1980, Hilton recorded her arrangement of The Bed's Too Big Without You with Sly Dunbar and Robbie Shakespeare working alongside Harry J. The recording proved an instant favorite and marked her second foray into the UK pop charts. Give Hilton's version a listen.
I'd give Hilton's version a nod over the police's version, and Hilton herself was pleased with her track, noting in the 1981 Sounds interview, For me, the bass is the most important instrument, and I must be able to feel it in the music. For example, the nice thing about Bed's Too Big Without You is that every time I hear it on the radio or whatever, I feel as if I have to dance. I'm very fussy about the way that my records sound, and as I said, the bass sound must be just right. I would really love to know what that man Sting thinks, she added. Me too. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Punky Reggae Party. My book is available from DeWolf Publishing at DeWolf.com. That's D-I-W-U-L-F.com, as well as Amazon. Thanks for listening and take care.